The contents of this broadcast are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute legal advice. You're listening to The Labor Law Report, the podcast dedicated to timely HR and employment law news, powered by Personnel Concepts, your compliance partner, with your hosts, Leon Frierson and Stephanie Balicki. If you're looking for the latest in labor law, we've got the report. Hello, listeners. We'd like to welcome you back to the Labor Law Report, where we are dedicated to timely HR and employment law news. I'm back as your host, Leon Frierson, the senior regulatory researcher here at Personnel Concepts, and I'm accompanied by Stephanie Balicki, PC's corporate accounts executive. So much to discuss today with the announcement of more mandates. I'm sure our audience will have a lot to pull from the episode. Absolutely. And on today's episode, we'll start off with the Biden announcement of federal COVID-19 vaccination requirements and updated COVID-19 protocols for federal contractors. Next, we'll go over the new anti-retaliation portion of the OSH Act that was published in OSHA's final rule. Additionally, we'll discuss economic injury disaster loan revisions from the Small Business Administration. And lastly, we'll give an update to the latest CDC guidance on vaccination and the Delta variant. And don't forget to stick around for our mandatory posting updates. This and more all on the Labor Law Report. So let's not waste any time, Stephanie. We're all aware of the biggest news recently affecting employers, particularly large employers. Do you mind briefing us on the Biden vaccine mandates that have created a stir for business owners and operators? It would be my pleasure. So in the latest attempt to stop the spread of the coronavirus, President Joseph Biden recently announced new COVID-19 vaccination requirements. Because of the recent rise in variant cases, the requirements are part of a six-pronged strategy to combat the virus, four having significant effects on businesses. Um, Could you go over the four additional requirements? Let's do it. Now, first, employers with 100 plus employees must ensure all workers either become fully vaccinated or participate in weekly testing. Second, all federal workers and associated contractors must be vaccinated. Third, healthcare workers at locations that receive Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement must also be vaccinated. And lastly, employers must provide time off for vaccinations. Yes, and it's also important to note that at the present time, OSHA has the authority to create a rule to mandate that employers with 100 or more employees uh, require vaccinations. However, you know, this mandate will not take effect until the publication of the final emergency temporary standard. Once the final standard is recognized, affected employers will have to provide paid time off for vaccination purposes, including the time it takes to receive the vaccination shots and any time needed to recover from the vaccination. Also, Leon, you mentioned federal workers and associated contractors. Didn't we just see additional guidance addressing vaccination requirements for that segment of the workforce? Yeah, we did. On September 17, 2021, the task force issued updated guidance to federal agencies about COVID-19 safety protocols, which exclusively applies to employees of federal contractors and federal employees. Overall, the release mainly targets COVID-19 vaccine and testing requirements for federal employees. There are, however, 11 new and updated frequently asked questions relating to federal contractors working on government sites, including if agencies should inquire about vaccination status on on on-site contract workers, what type of negative COVID-19 test results must be provided for unvaccinated workers, and more. I encourage all federal contractor employees to visit our blog at blog.personnelconcepts.com and find the post that links to the recently updated FAQ. Now, Stephanie, I understand that OSHA has published a new rule that all employers need to observe. Can you give us some background? 
I definitely can. So on September 3rd, 2021, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration published a revised anti-retaliation final rule. Accordingly, the final interpretive rule changes previous anti-retaliation provisions within the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970, the OSH Act. The act generally provides that employers cannot be fired, laid off, demoted, denied overtime, or promotion, or have pay reduced because of the following things. So if the employee has one, filed any complaint under or related to the OSH Act, two, instituted or caused to be instituted any proceedings under or related to the OSH Act, three, testified or is about to testify in any proceedings under or related to the OSH Act, or four, exercised on their behalf or behalf of others any right afforded by the OSH Act. And as far as that recent change, the revised anti-retaliation final rule clarifies the connection between protected whistleblower activities and any corresponding adverse action. The final rule brings the provision in line with multiple Supreme Court decisions. The rule is updated considering actions performed by an employer or others which adversely affect an employee are allowed if predicated upon non-discriminatory grounds. It's clarified that an employee's engagement in protected activities does not automatically render them immune from discharge or discipline for legitimate reasons. This update was based on the NLRB versus Dixie Motor Coach Corporation case. Additionally, the employee's protected activity doesn't have to be the primary consideration behind discharge or adverse action to violate a Section 11C of that OSH Act. If the dismissal or adverse action had not taken place but for engagement in protected activity, it violates Section 11. So if a discharge or adverse action was because of protected activity, it must be proven based on the case's facts. OSHA has also revised the regulation by adding terms to reflect the full scope of Section 11C, prohibition against uh, retaliation. OSHA has also revised the regulation by adding terms to reflect the full scope of Section 11C's prohibition against retaliation. The revised anti-retaliation final rule was effective September 3rd, 2021. Now, uh, moving along, Stephanie, we have some good news for small businesses that have been economically affected by the pandemic. Yes, we sure do. So on September 9th, 2021, the Small Business Administration, the SBA, announced significant enhancement to its COVID Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. But before we get into what changed, allow me to give a little background um, about the program. Generally, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, called the EIDL, assists businesses, renters, and homeowners located in regions affected by declared disasters. Some requirements of the EIDL include the following. So most businesses are eligible to apply, The SBA does examine a business credit history and its ability to repay. Companies must show economic injury due to the coronavirus. EIDLs come directly from SBA disaster assistance. There is no cost to apply, and any provided funds are only for working capital. Example, to pay fixed debts, payroll, accounts payable. The funding is not for lost sales, lost profits, or business expansion. And thanks for reviewing the program specific, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. I've compiled a list of the fundamental changes to the EIDL program. First, they're increasing the COVID EIDL cap. Uh, the SBA will lift the COVID EIDL cap from $500,000 to $2 million. Wow. And loan funds are, yeah, and loan funds are available for everyday operating expenses and working capital, including payroll, purchasing equipment, and paying debt. 
There's also the implementation of a deferred payment period, so small business owners do not have to begin COVID EIDL repayment until two years after the loan origination. So that's great for small businesses. Um, there's also the establishment of a 30-day exclusivity window. The SBA will implement a 30-day exclusivity window of approving and dispersing funds for loans of $500,000 or less. Approval and disbursement of loans of that amount will begin after those 30 days. Uh, there's been an expansion of eligible use of funds. So the COVID EIDL funds are now eligible to prepay commercial debt and make payments on federal business debt. And then lastly, there's been a simplification of affiliation requirements. So the SBA has established more simplified affiliation requirements to ease the COVID EIDL application process for small businesses. Oh, that's great. Yeah, definitely a lot of good changes. So um, basically, in conclusion, eligible small businesses, nonprofits, and agricultural businesses in the U.S. states and territories can apply. So if you're in need of assistance and meet the criteria for the program, we definitely encourage you to visit sba.gov to learn more about eligibility and application requirements. Most importantly, the last day that applications may be received is December 31st, 2021. So employers should get their applications in as soon as possible. And before we move on to the recent mandatory poster updates, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard about the CDC mask and vaccination update guidance that was released throughout September. Uh, Leon, could you break it down for us? I'll do my best. There's been a lot of changes, but um, due to the prevalence of the Delta variant and the recent approval of the Pfizer booster shots, the CDC recommends the following response updates to the public. Now, first, to reduce the risk of being infected with the Delta variant and possibly spreading it to others, you're going to wear a mask indoors in public if you are in an area of substantial or high transmission. Second, you may choose to wear a mask regardless of the level of transmission if you have a weakened immune system or if because of your age or underlying medical condition, you are at increased risk for a severe disease. Or if a member of your household has a weakened immune system, is at increased risk for severe disease or is unvaccinated. Thirdly, CDC now recommends that people aged 65 years and older, residents in long-term care settings, and people aged 50 to 64 years old with underlying medical conditions should receive a booster shot of the Pfizer Biotech COVID-19 vaccine if at least six months have gone by since completing their uh, primary series. Other groups may receive a booster shot based on their individual risk and benefit, and we encourage you to stay stay in, uh, in touch with the CDC website because they're constantly updating their booster shot requirements. Uh, and if you're 18 years or older, uh, you may be eligible to receive a shot now. Yeah, definitely. I, I encourage all of our listeners to visit the CDC's website page displaying the COVID-19 integrated county views, which allows the public to assess the level of transmission in their area. Um, so with all that, it's just time to address our personnel concept subscribers. So the following are the mandatory posting updates that will be mailed to effective customers enrolled in our subscription services. Missouri had an update to the Victims Economic Safety and Security Act notice. Montana had a discrimination notice. Nevada had a couple changes, so family medical leave, employment and training programs, COVID-19 paid sick leave, and business operations during statewide pause notices. And then Ohio, lastly, had the Equal Employment Opportunity Notice update. So to all of our affected subscribers, just be on the lookout for your poster updates. To my corporate customers, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And thanks for reviewing those once again, Stephanie. Now, recently in the Subscriber Advantage program, you should have received our five warning signs of potentially violent behavior-free handout. 
and the last chance to download frequently asked questions on employment laws during COVID-19. Now coming up on October 27th, we're conducting a webinar on the long haul effects on policy and personnel in the workplaces, and that's all in response to COVID-19. So be on the lookout for your registration link coming soon to your email. If you're interested in becoming a subscriber and receiving these free resources, or if you're a subscriber in search of these free items, give us a call at 800-333-3795 or visit us at personnelconcepts.com. Also, don't forget to check out that link to the webinar as we'll have great information from attorney Jeffrey Future who's returning, and we'll also have an HR professional that'll help with your staffing and recruiting needs. And thanks again for listening to the Labor Law Report. Thanks so much. Talk to you all soon. The contents of this podcast are provided for informational purposes only. All topics and scenarios discussed are general in nature and do not constitute legal advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought. Personnel Concepts and the hosts of the Labor Law Report specifically disclaim any and all liability arising directly or indirectly from the reliance on or use of the contents of this podcast.